Have you ever wondered about how to go about preparing a sermon? Hi, I'm Joel Moutre, and you're listening to the Learn and Share podcast. In today's episode, Michael Getz answers all the questions you've ever had about preaching. Michael, thank you so much for joining. We're excited. And today we're going to talk about something that many people cringe at, and that is preaching. Uh, But we know that as Christians, we're called to take the gospel to the world. And one of those ways is through um, proclaiming through the spoken word. Uh, Thank you so much for joining me. Yeah, thank you. Um, First off, just wanted to ask you, um, how'd you get into preaching? You're a pastor now, and people Mm -hmm. think that all pastors were given the talent and the skill of uh, naturally from God to to preach. Tell us a little bit about your background with public speaking and why you got involved with it and how you enjoy it and how you started. Uh, So, of course, it's tandem with public speaking and pastoral ministry, kind of uh, hand in glove. But uh, in high school, I had a teacher, uh, two teachers at Bible classes that uh, would uh, refer to me as Pastor Getz in like my sophomore, junior year. And I thought it was cute and, and fun. Uh, but then they started a ministry called SOY, S-O-Y, and it stood for, as an acronym for Serving Other Youth. And we went around the northwest of the United States doing soy programs, serving other youth. And the invitation was, uh, why don't you give a little presentation? Everybody cycles through doing different parts of the program. And so we did, uh, we did a program in somewhere in Washington State and walked away from it. Actually, it was Moses Lake, Washington. Moses Lake, Washington. And I walked away from it with a sense of, I could, I could do that. Next week, sat down with uh, the pastor there at the academy and just said, man, I don't want to spend my life living off of the offerings that we collect each week. I, I totally misunderstood how, how the ministerial uh, profession was compensated and paid. I, I just assumed it was from the, you know, whatever you got in the offerings. And he walked me through that. He said, no, you know, God will take care of it. And this is how it works. And then uh, from there, invited me to do an evangelistic or be one night in an evangelistic series. And uh, so I I took it up, said, all right, I'll try this again. Went and preached, preached on Revelation 18, come out of her, my people. And uh, with a team of other young people, mostly part of the same soy uh, team. And that second sermon, my first evangelistic sermon, but my second sermon, uh, just crashed and burned on the appeal. I was on my way. We were in the van back when people rode in 15-passenger vans. But uh, I'm in the front. Somebody in the back says, hey, I've got a great story for you. Let me tell you. You'll fit into your appeal. I said, great. Thanks for the help. They tell me this story. I don't know what I heard, but it wasn't what they... It didn't all come through. And so I'm telling this... Now I'm up front telling this story about a famous painter that I thought they had said was named Rembrandt, and I'm just trying to, trying to, and, and the people there are just, the heads are tilted, and, and uh, I still tell this story, that I still use the illustration, of course, now correctly with the name of the painter being Rembrandt, uh, but it just, it, it, the appeal, people were chuckling, and I couldn't, uh, oh. so I walked away from that saying, God, I'll never do it again. But um, he tapped me on the shoulder and said, uh, I want you to give it one year. So I took one year after high school 
and uh, went and got trained. And I said, God, I'll give you one year. And uh, he took that one year and turned it into a uh, life, lifelong calling. I mean, that's powerful. It's similar to Moses, you know. Uh, he had a stammering tongue, you know. And yeah. He, he didn't feel qualified. Oh, it was embarrassing. I remember the first time I preached a sermon, and yeah. uh, it was not pretty. Um, <laughs> but, you know, it just comes with practice. It just comes with sure. practice, and sure. God uses that. Um, let's talk about why preaching, maybe even from a biblical perspective. Um, why the proclamation of the word mm-hmm. um, through, the, through, through, through voice? So I, I don't know where it started because... Uh, there's just always been this sense of, of preaching being at the center of our, our corporate worship service, preaching being uh, a huge mode of, of evangelism. But I, I, didn't, I didn't have any real context. And so I got into it thinking, man, there's just something there. There's something there. And, and you hear the, the good and the bad. And with all my love and respect for, for all the pastors that have ever been called to my church uh, as a young person, I just, I remember a lot of just, what was that? What was that? And just not feeling this. And so I've always had this burden. If, 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 it's, if there's something there, let's go for broke. And if it's not, then, um, then maybe we should just do little 10 or 15 minute uh, uh, nature nuggets and and call it good. Uh, so I wrestled with that getting into ministry. Uh, it just kind of always lingered there. And then when I, I I came to the point of crossroads, it was well either figure this out or not. And so I dove into a doctorate in homiletics and preaching. And I had never realized it before the deep theology of God from Genesis one. The, the primary thing besides being a creator that we find out about God is that he talks. He talks a lot. He, he speaks. Things happen. His word is powerful. And he's a communicator. And so that just began to overwhelm me. And I, I just said, man, I, I want to invest deeper and deeper into this. And then to find out that from creation to the third angel's message, including Noah, the prophets, the early church, all the way through scripture, the primary means of communication, of seeking and saving the lost, was the verbal expression. And I know that we want to clarify early on that this is not just the pulpit preaching. This could be a, a mission trip preaching. This could be a Sabbath school teaching. This could be children's presentation. But it's the verbal proclamation. So I don't want to just isolate preaching to this very singular event but it's the verbal proclamation, maybe it's a small group even, uh, that God has always used. And, and here's what caught me. He's going to use that. What somebody does in response to the verbal expression of his word, he's going to hold them accountable in judgment. And I'm just, now I'm overwhelmed thinking, wow, God, based on what a preacher says, or a teacher, or a small group leader, or a Bible study leader says, the response to that, God will hold those people accountable to their response to that. That must mean it's his best shot. Because why would, if otherwise we'd get to heaven and, and God would say, you know, we could hold God accountable and say, God, you didn't give your best. They could have had another opportunity. No, he's, he's going to be able to tell us, I give him my best. The verbal expression of my word. What are some biblical examples that inspire you in the area of great speeches or great oral communication? 
Peter, probably. Uh, I love his acts, uh, his early on acts. What is it? Acts three, his sermon just saying, let me be plain with you, brothers. So he, he, he's preaching, he's, he's giving this, this whole context of Jesus. And then he just, he's just a very real communicator, no pretense. And, uh, and that's something that a lot of people walk away from. Wow, he was really down to earth. And Peter just strikes me as that. Paul, on the other hand, Paul, you'll hear him talk about his own. He'll, he'll, he'll tell stories on himself. Peter, not so much. Uh, Paul will say, you know, I was beaten. I was, I was shipwrecked. If I'm the chief of sinners. I, Peter was just this, seemed to be this very upfront preacher. This, hey, you know exactly where I'm standing. And I, I've got nothing to hide here. I'm just going to tell you what I really know. And Paul, of course, is a great preacher as well. But Peter, I think, uh, inspires me. That's, that's really cool. Actually, Peter is one of my favorite characters. I personally resonate with him a lot. Um, let's talk about actually breaking down sermons and presentations, different styles. I know that there's some people that just do illustrations all day long, like make a point, illustration, make a point, et cetera. There's other people that go deep theological, exegetical, you know, Bible study, and it's sometimes hard to pay attention, uh, et cetera. What's the balance between those? What are the different kinds? What's the balance? If someone's looking to preach, how do you find your style? You know, I'm more practical, I'm like Paul, like giving personal examples. Others are different. What's your thoughts on that? Okay. The old version of uh, you get three points and a poem, and then you got a sermon, isn't what people talk. They, they make fun of it. Isn't what people talk about anymore. But there's still some value to that. What I would say is... Uh, you picture an arrow, and that arrow is it's driving at one point. Uh, sermons that have multiple points uh, have a place, but they are like salt to be sprinkled about. You want a sermon to come down to an appeal. It, it it's like a mission statement. It needs to be the main point needs to be written out on a napkin. And 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 they've often used this the S S S single simple sentence. You need to be able to boil it down to a single simple sentence. So then beyond that, whether there's two illustrations or one illustration or three illustrations, the components of the different aspects of preaching, you, 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 it's just really uh, like a, a canvas where you learn to memorize something, you, you do it, and then it becomes your own, and then you can almost adjust it a little bit when you're presenting it. So there are great storytellers uh, that tell more stories, and some people tell less stories. I do think that stories and illustrations are, a, are have been lost to a great degree, um, but you can certainly over overuse them. So what's the balance? Go to your text first, find out what it's trying to communicate, and then bring in as much as you need, but no more. And that is... That is even probably something that the best of preachers struggle with. Ooh, I should have not done that. That extra story at the end was just not helpful. Let's talk about the importance of Scripture in preaching. Okay. I know that many times, like you said, you know, giving illustrations, and I like to do that sometimes as well. I'll pick one point, and I'll illustrate it and, you know, stick with it. I like to call it the golden thread, mm -hmm. uh, having that as well. There are some people that use a lot of secular illustrations, quotes from other people. Is that wrong? Mm -hmm. uh, or or sh should it only be scripture? What about spirit of prophecy, using it to prove points? Mm -hmm. um, give us the balance there. Okay. So again, this is 
uh, this is all in, in its due time and place. There does seem to be a, let me just talk to the culture of today in Adventism. All right, let me just deal with my own faith community here for a second. The spirit of prophecy had a culture, a, a wind that blew through that was very cautious to it. The high school students of today, I'm finding, and I work on a high school uh, campus, are again ready to take a fresh look at it. They don't have the baggage that was there a decade ago or two decades ago. Uh, however, what, what is often the, the, the case is if you bring in a, a C.S. Lewis quote and use that to underline or to support or to guide your point, and then you bring in an Ellen White, it just it, it, it fits, and people will just roll with it. If there's only spirit of prophecy, then, then people, the, the, you start to get a few of the reactions. Now, I'll just admit, I get a note every once in a while saying, you know, maybe these authors that you quote, you know, maybe we should just have spirit of prophecy in the Bible. So there's never going to be a perfect spot. You're always going to have someone that feels a little bit more or a little bit less is going to be. But when we put spirit of prophecy in the mix with, with other authors, not saying, hey, everybody's equal here. I don't want to communicate that at all. But to show that, look, we are, this is, this is a wider thought. These are other thinking people have, have arrived at these conclusions as well. It adds validity. It adds, uh, it's, a, it's a draw in. So uh, as far as quoting uh, external, biblical external authors or uh, spirit of prophecy, um, to, to it, use them to season. People like to know, hey, there's some, there's some great authors or, or thinkers outside of Adventism that are thinking this. This makes sense to a wider community. What's the ratio with Scripture then? Because some people like to do all, you know, they'll use one verse, let's say preach mm -hmm. on, uh, you know, uh, Philippians 1.6 or something mm -hmm. like that, but then they'll use all this other information. What's, what should we be careful about when preparing sermons, preparing speeches to make sure to not give the wrong idea where our, where our support comes from? Yeah, excellent. If I walk away from, from the sermon, from the presentation, uh, with the feeling that there was any close second on the authority that that, that author or, or this other author was, was really where the springboard came from, then it's been a failure. Uh, how much scripture? Uh, it does, you know, a narrative passage is obviously going to be longer than, than maybe a Beatitudes where you're just going to focus on that one Beatitude. But you can do it in such a way. You can read multiple versions of the same text. You can repeat the text three or four times uh, in, in the sermon. You can do it in such a way that it emphasizes the absolute authority and power of the Word of God. Uh, because anything else would then diminish the whole. And so how much is helpful? So here's a practical point that may be very helpful. I am a huge encourager of writing the manuscript out, at least a 75% manuscript, which means that there may be small connector words or, or parts of the sentence that you don't have to flush out. 
but about 75% of your, your words and your points right out. What that does is, is allow you then to reflect, take a step before you present it and look back over it and see that, okay, this clearly is springboarding off the scripture, off the biblical passage. And it gives you an, a, an ability to say, how many times do I mention C.S. Lewis? Or how many times do I mention Ian Bounds versus the, the, the scripture passage? If you do it on, just on an, a little outline off of kind of a, a knee jerk, you can end up with a, with a misbalance. Yeah. I appreciate that. One more question before we go into the practical and how to put together uh, a presentation. How long should them be? Because, you know, you've been in church and uh, some people say, uh, you know, I feel the Holy Spirit blessing here. Should, can, can I continue? And then what are people going to say? No. Yeah. You know, um, you know, some people preach too long, too short. What's what's the balance? And when you're up there preaching, how do you know when to quit? Perfect. So there's there's several uh, parts of that. One is that you never, uh, and it's just a simple rule, you never apologize, you never ask for permission because it just, it, it's a poor way of communicating. So to ask, can I, can I go longer? Right, you place everybody in a very awkward and terrible place and then, um, and you never apologize for being unprepared and uh, just all of those, ah, just leave those alone. Just don't No disclaimers. Them. Yeah. Oh, just stop it. On the length, I just read, uh, they took, this is outside of Adventism, obviously. They took the, what they considered, I believe it's Christianity Today, took the most popular preachers in North America currently and averaged out their sermon times. And with the exception of two in the top ten, they were all passing 40 minutes. And that surprised me, because in a culture that we're all talking about, short, fast, easy, uh, these guys are preaching longer. And so I think there is something to say there. Uh, that doesn't maybe mean a longer worship service. We, we punish ourselves, and this I know that we're not talking about worship services here, but the way we do worship services, we draw things out unnecessarily, where there's so many different pieces. And so... The, the trend is more to, to reduce the number of pieces but lengthen the significant, uh, the preaching of the word, maybe the worship element. So how long should it be? Well, that is the, the million-dollar question. But I would say that in a very practical way, you're probably wanting to be between 25 and 35 minutes. That seems to be across the board very acceptable, in the culture where you've got a lot of North American preachers going over 40 minutes and they've got the big churches. Uh, so it's not pushing that, but it's not reducing it down. You want to make, and you say, well, what about a 10 or 15 minutes? That's fine once in a while, but you're wanting to make the word of God substantial. And part of that is a time element. Uh, so we want to be aware that if I spend five minutes on the word of God, it, uh, it will not say the same thing over the long term as 20 or 30 minutes. Let's get really, really practical okay. and talk about even just your routine, what you normally do when preparing. 
um, we're literally going how to pick a topic, how to study that topic in the Word, how to find resources and illustrations, uh, writing it out, practice, etc. Okay. Um, let's start with topic. So if, if you've been called to, to preach, sometimes they give you the topic, sometimes mm -hmm. you can pick it. What's your, what's, what are some principles? What do you pray about? Like, what do you actually do to mm -hmm. ask God to help you find a topic or to do that with when they give you a topic? Okay. So first of all, if they give, if there's a theme of a, of a camp meeting, conference, week of prayer, whatever, I would plead with anyone, follow the theme. Uh, we've all sat in camp meetings and there's a huge banner behind the speaker that says, Jesus is coming soon. And there is no, there is zero connection, right? So please, please follow the theme. Okay. As far as preparing the topic, I'm a list guy, so I work on a sermonic calendar. Uh, I brainstorm out lists. I do a survey with my home church every year where I ask them for themes. We've got a pastoral team. I interview them, ask them for themes. And then I take the, the stuff that's rising to the top out of that and put that on a list, see how it fits. Uh, I, I, uh, I'm looking six months ahead so I know what I'm speaking and what I'll be preaching about in March. What that does for me, though, is as I'm reading, as I'm listening, as I hear a story or as, I, as I'm doing my personal devotions, I'm coming across stuff. And because I know it's like uh, the brown shoes I'm wearing today. I told my wife, I said, since I bought these brown shoes two weeks ago, everybody's bought brown shoes. Like all these guys are wearing brown shoes. I thought they were all wearing black shoes. And it's, it's this as soon as it's on your radar, you start to pick up stuff. So if, if you say something about marriage and family, that's an April sermon series for me. I'm going to, I'm going to collect that information. I'm going to put web links. I'm going to put book titles. I'm going to put people I should talk to or interview. And I just create this document that six months out is, is just a mosaic. It's just a list of a bunch of stuff. And then as I come into it, I've outlined the series uh, I take the week of and sit down. Thursday is, is morning to night. It's just writing day. It's totally taken off the calendar. I don't go into the office. I don't uh, have appointments. I just write from beginning to evening, uh, morning to evening, and uh, flush that out. That allows me Friday then to look that over, to review it, to, to assess it, to make sure that it's balanced, to make sure that it's biblical and that the biblical has a precedence. I like that because the, that principle, you're a pastor and you have, you know, to preach every Sabbath. Some of the young people here might not be doing that, but they might be called to give a Vespers or they might have a small series, you know, youth led series at their church and they might have to give one sermon. Mm -hmm. um, and when I like that idea of just literally just picking a topic, praying, um, but then just start collecting data, mm -hmm. uh, even if it's like three weeks ahead, mm -hmm. one week ahead, even if it's like an hour ahead, Think about all the things that you know about the topic and resources and verses, and start compiling that. Um, what What about practice? So you've been you've been writing it out, you've been or, organizing with a main point. Um, what about practice? How important is that? Do you do it? Um, yeah. Okay. So Malcolm Gladwell, he wasn't the researcher, but he was the one that made it popular. the The ten thousand hour rule. The ten thousand hour rule says that. In order to become proficient at a complicated task, you have to spend 10,000 hours invested in it. And the research that they did was based on chess, chess players. In order to become a master chess player, they said you've got to have 10,000 hours invested in it. Take that into the 
arena of public speaking, one of the most complicated uh, exercises that we can engage in, in the sense of you have one shot. There's no, not a lot of dialogue. People can't ask questions. You have one shot to communicate it, and you, you've got to communicate it in an age of distraction with our cell phones. You've got to communicate in an age of uh, perspectives of a very divisive, polarized world where, where we'll take one line and we'll kind of hole up. And so it's it's very complicated. But you take that. And it's, it's, a, it's a complicated uh, exercise. So the invitation then is, is to practice. Absolutely, it's necessary to practice. Here's my argument for practice. If there are 10 people in the room and you have 20 minutes, that means you're going to be using up 200 minutes of people time, 200 minutes of life. And so don't, you don't think of it, well, it's just a little church, it's a little Vespers, it's a small group. No, no, no. 10 minutes or 20 minutes with 10 people, that's 200 minutes. You want to come in sharp, and you want to come in excellent. The, the line today, Derek Morris, in an age of distraction, the only thing we have going for us is excellence and creativity. That's his line. Excellence will breed creativity. We, and let me just throw this out there and then uh, let you take us from there. We we often have just assumed uns unspoken rule is that the Holy Spirit works at the 11th hour. I'm arguing that the Holy Spirit works six months ahead, nine months ahead, a year ahead, a week ahead. We don't have to wait to Friday night to prepare. The Holy Spirit can work well in advance, and that gives us an opportunity to, to be creative and to be excellent. I think people underestimate the importance of practice and yes. you know like i like that illustration at the mm -hmm. 11th hour that's mm -hmm. that's really really mm -hmm. good finally let's talk about the close because uh well let's close with the close i guess okay. um because that's one part that a lot of people neglect in their preparation mm -hmm. and uh, what what is the importance of a close and how can you make a good close mm -hmm. so everyone walks away from every uh, every presentation, every Bible study, every sermon, every Vespers with the question, so what? And so you've got to make, make it real. Here's, here's my personal experience as of late with, with appeals and closing, uh, that an appeal, in even if nobody responds to the appeal, an appeal communicates to every listener that this is important enough that we should be making a decision about it today. And so even if it's a little thing, even if it's a little step, and this goes for Bible studies too, you can't get to a major life-changing doctrine and ask for a decision when there have been no other decisions along the way. It's just, it's, it makes it more difficult. And it's not impossible. God can reconcile and redeem and he can fix our, our blind spots. But we've got to be asking, so what does this matter to every listener? God has brought us together for this moment, whether it's a Bible study or, a, or an evangelistic series or a sermon at a church service. God has brought, he's orchestrated that moment. So what? And an appeal actually enforces the, uh, the idea that what you had to say was very important. So the closing and the opening... Uh, it's been said that we, our minds can just grab the beginning and the end and 
they've done little studies and little games on this. One of my favorite pictures is a picture of a well-drawn face with pencil art. Everything is just beautiful. And then the, the, the left eye or the right eye is just scribbled really quick. And somebody wrote in, this is the end of most presentations. Like we just, we wear ourselves out. We, we run ourselves uh, to the last minute and then we don't have time. And so we just write at the bottom of our sermon, make appeal. And what a misuse of that opportunity. So the landing, the takeoff and the landing, the beginning and the end are, are your two huge opportunities. Would you tell us a story in closing um, where someone has been impacted and then appeal to us um, to get involved with preaching, to take opportunities to get out of our comfort zone? It's public speaking is everyone's fear. Mm-hmm. Um, appeal to the young person to get involved and maybe even share a story. Sure. So the... The biblical precedent, the biblical teaching, as it were, the theology of preaching is that God has chosen his voice, his word to be the primary communication. Romans chapter 10, one of the most beautiful passages on preaching. They're called and then they speak and then people believe and because or they hear and then they believe and because they believe they're saved. And there's this very Paul just outlines this. If the people that are called don't say anything, then the people at the end won't hear and won't believe and won't be saved at the end. And so this whole this is salvific. The fact that if we don't speak up, their salvation depends on our speaking up. And and so I say, speak up in whatever context, and don't, we don't need to force our way. You know, God, God hasn't called me into the classroom. God's called me into the, the church. And so I know that. I know that. And, and, it, and some of it's trial and error. God, where are you calling me to? Try it, though. Try it. And let God put on your heart, this is it. This is it. Because we've all found out that some of the greatest preachers are introverts. So that, that is kiboshed. That clearly is not the benchmark. Well, I'm an introvert versus... No, it's clearly. Some of the greatest preachers are introverts. And so the invitation stands not from me, but from God in Romans chapter 10. Go. Go say something. Speak up for me. And his word is just as creative as it was in Genesis chapter 1. His word is still that creative. And there's... Oh, the stories could just... Whoa, it would take us take us uh, till next Christmas, and we've just passed Christmas, to tell all of the stories. But my own story is that I'm sitting there, and I'm listening to the Word of God uh, being preached by this old pastor, and he's preaching his heart out. And I know, I know there's something, something happening in my, in my heart. He then, I, I don't respond to a call, but he comes and takes an extra step and sits down with me one day, just swings by, unannounced, swings by and, and uh, sits down in a chair next to me and just says, when, when will you make your decision? And immediately I knew God was speaking to me, but it was this man's voice. And, and the very next uh, appeal I heard in church it all came together. And so the reason I wanted to share that story was it's not just in the public speaking, but it's the one-on-one that God will use to change the direction and the eternity of one other person or, or a multitude of people even. But my life 
I clearly saw both the, the public presentation and, and, a, and a pastor's willingness. It could have been my parents. It could have been my friends, but it was a pastor in this case that just slid in unassuming and just said, I believe in this stuff. What are you, what are you, what are you going to do about it? And so God used the public presentation and the personal private, but it was the verbal, verbal communication and appeal for his, uh, from his word. Thank you so much for joining us uh, and uh, for inspiring us. I know that all of us can continue to use our talents and to go out our, outside of our comfort zone uh, to uh, spread the word of God. Thank you. Thanks for listening. Don't forget to hit subscribe and share this episode with your friends. To learn more, check us out at learnandsharepodcast.com.